Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you've told our hearts not to be troubled. You've promised your Holy Spirit. So send it to us afresh this morning that we might hear and know and obey your word and be shaped more and more into your likeness. In Christ's name, amen. It's a miracle. Have you ever said that or thought that? Maybe when a teenager in your life finally makes his bed? <laughs> or, or more reasonably or more miracle-like, when you narrowly escape uh, an accident that would certainly total your car and might total your body, it's a miracle. You've had that maybe on 66 or 495. It's a miracle. And as miraculous as any of them, and they both are miraculous as any of them seem, they pale in comparison to the story in Acts we just heard read. Luke, the author, really wants us to understand, yes, it's a miracle. Now let me back up first. They're in Lystra. It's Gentile territory. It's different from preaching in Israel. And Paul had already healed in, as he preached in Jerusalem, but now they're in a whole different context. And you can tell that from what, how Paul speaks. Uh, they don't go to the synagogue, they're just speaking to the townspeople. And as they are speaking, they come across a man, and Luke wants us to get this. He could not use his feet, we're told. He was crippled from birth, Luke adds. He had never walked. Okay, so if you didn't get it the first time, maybe you'd get it the second time. Certainly, you should get it by the third time. This was a hopeless case. No chance of his walking. Luke wants us to know that. That's why he uses not one, not two, but three phrases saying exactly the same thing. He was hopelessly lame. And we're told he listened. He listened to Paul as he spoke the good news. And Paul, I love this, he looked intently. Can you picture it? He looked intently and saw that he had faith to be made well. And you probably know that the word to be made well is sometimes translated to be healed, uh, sometimes translated to be saved. The same word. It's kind of like the Hebrew word shalom that means way more than peace, right? It means well-being. It means a whole thing. And so he's, Paul is looking at this man and seeing that that kind of faith, that kind of trust is in him. To be healed, of course, but even more. And so Paul, seeing that kind of trust and faith, says, stand upright on your feet. Can you picture yourself there watching, hearing? What are you talking about, Paul? But the man springs up and starts walking. It's a miracle. It's a miracle indeed. The townspeople thought so too. In fact, they assumed that this, they must be gods. The gods have come down and lived among us. They visited us. Hermes, they called Paul. Hermes, or the Roman name is Mercury, god of oratory, if you remember from your high school classic studies. Or Zeus, they called, they called Barnabas Zeus, or Jupiter, the king of the gods. A little aside, 
Last week, Mike told you that we start to see Paul being in the forefront and Barnabas coming to be his assistant, but don't be fooled. That's not exactly how it is. I mean, they called Barnabas Zeus, right? King of the gods. He has gravitas and weight. He's a leader. And Paul is the loud, well, the orator, uh, loudmouth orator. Anyway, um, so he is Mercury, right? He's, he's the spokesperson. Um, I have to stick up for my favorite apostle, Barnabas. Uh, back to the story, all right? Bunny trail left. In the town of Lystra, there was a temple to Zeus, and the priest began to ready sacrifices to make to Paul and Barnabas. And you read about this, oxen and garlands. The garlands were actually put on the oxen in preparation for sacrifices being offered. That's how much a miracle it was that the priest himself thought it's got to be the gods. It's got to be Zeus and Mercury, uh, Hermes. This, there was a story, a myth going around in Lystra, and Ovid, the Latin poet Ovid, talks about it. Zeus and Hermes had visited the town in the form of men. And as the story went, they went from house to house seeking welcome. And you know in that culture, welcome is assumed. It's, it's demand, you, you, you wouldn't think of not offering welcome to a visitor. Uh, but this town refused welcome to these gods disguised as men. Everyone refused welcome until they came to a very poor couple. They were poor enough that they took twigs from their roof to make a fire to cook their food, and they had very little food left. Their meager supply was vanishing. But they, they alone offered welcome to Zeus and Hermes. And they discovered that as they offered that welcome, even though they only had a little bit of food, the food supply kept being there. It expanded, it kept being there. And so this is the myth that lies behind the townspeople's reaction. The people of Lystra didn't, oh wait, I forgot to tell you the most important part. So Hermes and Zeus uh, honored this couple, gave them their requests, but sent a flood to kill everybody else in the town. So you can imagine that in this scene, the people of Lystra are, they're not gonna make that mistake again. They don't want to die. They don't want, they don't want that same treatment. So they decide to give the red carpet treatment to Paul and Barnabas, assuming them to be Zeus and Hermes. Now all of this is going on in the Laconian language, the local vernacular. So Paul and Barnabas don't immediately realize what's going on and they continue to preach and be among the people and then suddenly word gets to them what they were doing, that these sacrifices were about to be offered to them as if they were gods. And when they finally figured this out, they were horrified, appalled, they tore their clothes, we're told which is a normal Jewish practice for, um, rec for people uh, experiencing grief, repentance, sorrow. They knew 
that to be considered God was blasphemous and they wanted nothing to do with it. Men, why are you doing these things? We're men just like you. We're no different from you. We are not gods. And notice, Paul is always is ready to preach an evangelistic sermon. In verses 15 to 17, he says, we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Still, we're told, they barely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. The townspeople knew they had seen a miracle, something only a god could do. Healing a man, a man born blame, blame, a miracle indeed, but, but yeah, they didn't see who that God was. Wait, did you notice the other two miracles embedded in this passage? First, uh, the miracle of Paul's seeing. Remember, we're told Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. Don't you think that's a miracle? This is a Gentile, a Gentile crowd. And Paul, looking around, looks on, zeroes in on that man. And he knows, he knows this man has the faith to be made well just by looking at him. Don't you think that's a miracle? I do. And then there's the miracle of the lame man's faith, his trust, a man lame from birth, hears Paul say to him, stand up, get to your feet. And he trusts God, this God he didn't know before. He trusts God to heal him. I think that's another miracle. And both of these miracles might be just as miraculous, really, as the healing itself. For the man to trust God, a God he hadn't known, to trust the words of Paul, enough to get up and walk, for Paul to see, just by seeing and know the man had this trust. So these three miracles make it all the sadder that most of the town couldn't see. Most of the town could not understand Paul's words. At least they could not trust the God of whom he spoke. They recognized the miracle but not the one who gave it, not the one who healed. They still wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas as the gods rather than worship the living God. Now, you'll remember that Jesus preached, repent, right, for the kingdom of God or heaven is at hand, is among you. So, Jesus was announcing the inbreaking of God's rule, which would be consummated one day with a new heaven and a new earth and new bodies we heard read about today from Revelation. But in the meantime, Jesus is saying it's broken in, it's beginning, it's crashing in on a world ruled by sin and death. And he demonstrated that inbreaking by what? By healing by casting out demons. 
he, in, he demonstrated that God really was invading our world. And now Paul and Barnabas are continuing this very same ministry. You should notice it. It's the same. And they announce the kingdom of God wherever they go. And they announce the breaking of the power of the evil one wherever they go. And they demonstrate God's healing power and love wherever they go. His invasion, God's invasion of our world. Now, notice how God's kingdom brings physical healing, but also notice what else God's kingdom brings. God also brings seeing and trusting. You know, not long ago, a woman said to me, my truster is broken. And I understood what she meant. But this passage says God wants to heal our trusters without minimizing the reasons her truster was broken. God wants to heal her truster just as he wants to heal my broken leg. <laughs> uh, God sees and heals our seeing and our trusting as well as our bodies. But wait a minute. Something is missing from this little passage. I want us to zoom out and see it in context, looking at the verses that come before it and the verses that come after it, the verses that were left out from today's lectionary reading, and I'm not really sure why, uh, although I have some guesses. I don't think we can really understand the power of God and how God works without looking at this wider context. Do you know why Paul and Barnabas were in Lystra? They'd been in Iconia preaching boldly and were told they, were, they saw lots of signs and wonders. But both Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles both, were divided. There were loads of new disciples, but there also were lots of angry other people. And so we're told in verses 5 and 6, an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it, and so they left, fleeing to Lystra before moving on to Derby. An attempt was made. That word attempt does mean attempt, but sometimes it can also mean violent assault. In either case, it's clear what was about to happen. A plot of violence, uh, mistreatment, and stoning was afoot. And Paul and Barnabas heard of it, and so off to Lystra they went to escape it. And so why did they leave Lystra after this miraculous healing? Uh, why, when people were listening to their teacher teaching, did they leave? Why did they go to Derby? To answer that, we have to go to the verses after our passage. And here's what it says in verse 19. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Remember, Iconium was where they were before. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. They stoned him and left him for dead outside the city. Notice this. One minute, Paul and Barnabas are worshipped as gods. And the next minute, 
they are worthy of death, death by stoning. Doesn't this kind of remind you of Holy Week? One week, one day, Palm Sunday, we celebrate it. Jesus is hailed as the king coming in triumph. Hosanna in the highest. We sing it every week. And only a week later, they're hailing him as worthy of death. Death by crucifixion. Same thing. Similar anyway. Then in verse 20, we're told, but when the disciples gathered around Paul, he rose up and entered the city. And the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. I think this might be yet another miracle. Derby was a 60-mile trek, about 40, I mean 15 hours at a normal pace. Can you imagine being left for dead and taking a 15-mile hike the next day? There was no Uber, obviously. These two passages, what comes before and after the passage appointed for today, like so many in the New Testament, remind us that whenever God's word is preached and received, suffering and persecution usually follow. Paul, in fact, saw his sufferings, and he says this particularly in Philippians, as participating in the suffering of Christ. It's what enabled him to keep going, knowing that he was sharing with Jesus in suffering for the good things that God was doing. He knew he was participating in God's work and that persecution was just part of the package. Now, of course, spiritual attack or persecution doesn't always mean we're doing God's work. Sometimes we're just being stupid or insensitive. But Suffering and persecution accompanying God's miraculous intervention are a consistent pattern in the scriptures. And although we're not to seek suffering, neither are we meant to avoid it, to hold back. Paul, we're told, even welcomes it, as hard as that is to grapple with. You know, our missionaries, whom we'll pray for in a little bit, Dana, and Karen tell remarkable stories of people, Muslims, coming to Jesus as a result of these small Bible studies that are exploding, multiplying all over, and coming to a lively faith in Jesus. And a couple weeks ago at staff meeting, they told us, please pray for our colleagues, because we've just gotten reports that many of them are suffering various kinds of persecution. So pray, will you? But he went on, Dana went on to tell us that they, they were marked not just by persecution, but by joy. They had joy in the midst of what they were suffering. So let me ask you a question. What's your takeaway from these verses? Not just the passage appointed, but the passages before and after. What do you think God wants you to know or to do? This miracle, or three, maybe four miracles in one, bracketed by persecution, 
and suffering. I've been wondering, why do we see in our day, in our place, so few really miraculous healings? I'm not saying we don't see answered prayer. Of course we do. And thank the Lord for our prayer warriors who help us do that. But a man lame walking? We don't see much of that. And there are lots of reasons for that, I'm sure. You know, we don't, we don't rule when God does things. God does. But I've been wondering, could it be that part of it is that we avoid any boldness that might lead to persecution or suffering? Could it be that unlike Paul, we hold back because it might hurt? I've been thinking that for myself. Like, Mary, are you, is there some place you're holding back because you're afraid? Are you missing out because you're holding back from God, from what God might call you to? I wonder, because all through scripture, the two things seem linked. And of course, that doesn't mean we should seek suffering, but I have to ask myself, am I avoiding it? Am I avoiding it? And studying this passage, like studying so many, it keeps continuing to reshape my prayers for Truro, for each of us individually, but also for us corporately. This passage is no exception. Here's what I've been praying, that God's kingdom would so invade our life, would so shape us individually and as a congregation, that we would be as bold and joyful as Paul and Barnabas in telling others the good news that Jesus has brought God's kingdom to earth, overthrowing the powers of sin and darkness. And I've been praying that we would see God's spirit healing bodies and minds in fresh new ways. And that also we might get the gift that Paul has for seeing faith in the people around us, some of whom we might not think in our, with our brains, are the type, whatever that means. That we would have that set, those eyes that sees faith around us. And that we would have hearts like the lame man, that trust our good God, whatever disabilities or troubles we face. And I've been praying that we would not be thwarted when suffering or persecution comes our way. Instead, like Paul and Barnabas, we'd shake off the dust and move on from Iconia to Lystra to Derby or wherever God sends us, rejoicing, as hard as that might be, rejoicing in the privilege of participating in God's work, even rejoicing in the privilege of sharing in Jesus' suffering. So let's pray together that those prayers might be answered. And let's pray using the words from Psalm 67 that we just prayed a few minutes ago. Oh God, be gracious to us and bless us. Make your face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth your saving power among all nations.
Amen.